welcome to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis. Over this next week, we will be sharing with you the speeches made by our remarkable speakers at the third annual Women for Freedom Summit, which was in Dallas on Saturday, October 15th. Today, Monday, October 24th, I'll be sharing with you the speeches made by Sidney Powell, who is an extraordinary American attorney, a hero among lawyers, and currently working to advocate for the rule of law and justice in the cases of some of the January 6th defendants as well as many others. The second speaker you hear from today is Sharona Bishop. She is an election integrity advocate, a former Colorado citizen who helped to expose election fraud in Colorado and the host of the American Mom podcast. Finally, third, today you'll hear from Dr. Simone Gold. She is the famous doctor in America who founded the America's Frontline Doctors. She also spoke in Washington on January 6th and was wrongly prosecuted and wrongly convicted and wrongly sent to federal prison for a very short stint, 46 days. And she spoke with us about her views on the rule of law in America. So today's show, Monday, October 24th, will feature Sidney Powell's remarks, Sharona Bishop's, and Dr. Simone Gold's at the third annual Women for Freedom Summit. Enjoy the show. People who read the book often ask me if I have bodyguards and if I'm afraid and you know how I got the courage to write the book and I said well it didn't occur to me to be afraid I have kind of a four-part answer for that the first is God didn't give me a spirit of fear the second is I'm Presbyterian the third is <laughs> the horse is already out of the barn and the fourth is I'm happy and healthy and I'm not doing any skydiving so if anything happens to me, everybody will know exactly where to look. Any accident, anything, they'll know where to look. And I'm going to release the Kraken. Well, good, because this is, uh, this is... Because right now it is one mel of a hess. But by God, when somebody walks in a court of the United States of America and says, my name is Sidney Powell, I represent the United States and threatens the life, liberty, and property of a fellow human being, they have a moral, a legal, and an ethical obligation to do it right and to get it right. And that means following the law, not abusing the law. When you, when you do think about the number of laws, remember this, God did it with just 10. <laughs> But as I said somewhere the other day, the Democrats have the donkey as their symbol for a reason. And lately they've been acting like the southbound end of the northbound donkey. No, I did not recognize your name, but the minute you opened your mouth, I recognized your voice because I've heard you many times on the radio. And every Somebody time. says I have an accent. <laughs> so I have no question except advice. Take care of yourself, dear girl. Thank you. We need people like you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there, but for the grace of God, go any one of us. Frankly, 
recently, I'm about to think the entire FBI and the entire Department of Justice need to be hosed out with Clorox and fire hoses. Well, Sydney, I think right now that you would get many seconds for that proposition. Talking about lots of cases rising from wherever, and I won't use the K word. Um, oh, you come can on. If you want. <laughs> Say it loud. The Kraken. The Kraken. All right. We Bye. have Team Kraken. Evidence of different numbers of votes being injected into the system, the same identical, unique six-digit number multiple times in at least two states that we've analyzed so far, and I'm talking about like 341,542 votes for Biden and 100,012 for Trump. Um, there's no explanation, no logical explanation for the same numbers being injected 20 minutes apart into the machine. You've demonstrated that somebody bought the gun and owned the bullets, but you haven't demonstrated that they fired them. Why are they wrong? Well, um, when you see the body laying on the ground with the blood coming out of it from multiple bullet holes, it's not hard to tell. Okay. You have all the years you've been practicing law for decades that you'd be swept up in, in this firestorm uh, of attacks between the mainstream media and the Democrat machine. No, until a few years ago, I was an, an appellate lawyer who stayed in my office cranking out briefs at all hours of the day and night, and that's where I thought I would always be until I got maybe a chance to sit on a beach somewhere and enjoy a mojito or something. But no, uh, I'm in the middle of the fire. Well, you're doing God's work, and there are tens of millions of Americans uh, who support you. chances you think President Trump has a second term at this moment? Oh, I think he's going to get a second term. 100%? Because the American people know the truth. And then what, what happens if they know the truth? What, what is the leverage? What do they do to Congress? We the people, they work for us. So you're hoping everybody rises up and tells members of Congress to sustain the objections? Is that the idea? No. Why do you think he's going to win? Because he already did win. Okay. He won already. Thank you very much. did not give me a spirit of fear. I simply don't have it. I'm not going to have it. <laughs> and no matter how many people threaten me or file suits against me or file bar grievances against me, which has all happened in the last several weeks, it is not going to make any difference. I am going to forge ahead. I am determined to find the truth. We know it's out there. Truth is the armor of God. We are entitled to it. We are entitled to be the free country that God wanted us and created us to be. And we cannot continue to allow this tyranny to have another day hold on us. And I think opening the churches and everybody simply going this Sunday would make a massive statement to the evil powers that seek to take over this country. Amen. We're praying for you. We're going to pray for you right now. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just lift up Sydney Powell and her team and all that she's dealing with. Father, we give, ask you for strength. We ask you for a refreshing in her body and her mind. And thank you, Lord, for her resolve and her uh, 
her attitude and her prowess and her, her ability to take this where it needs to go. Father, we put our faith behind her. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, and thank you for all the prayers. General Flynn and I felt uplifted by all of them the whole time we dealt with his ordeal, and we feel it now, too. We yes. have to take this country back for, for God and put God back in this country Amen. where he belongs. I don't know Sydney Holst, but she put all that together for me and posted it on my birthday a year or two ago, and I was just so touched by it. And it's a fairly good conglomeration of things that fly out of my mouth when I appear, <laughs> appear like I do today with no notes or anything to talk to you about whatever is on my heart and whatever truth I can find to share. Um, thank you for the warm welcome. I'm honored by that. I'm honored by your presence today. You know, the gift of your time is the greatest thing you can give anyone. And Debbie, thank you and Sandy for all the hard work that went into putting this event together. I've done them. I know how much hard work it is, and it's very well organized. I'm sure everybody's going to have a great time. The lineup of speakers is as impressive as any I've ever seen. And I'm honored to be here to uh, kick it off with you all. Debbie asked me to talk about the rule of law, which is probably the most important concept that distinguishes the United States of America from every other country on the planet. And it has deteriorated before our eyes over the last 20 years in particular. I guess 20 years ago, roughly, is when I sat up and took notice of how different things were in the Department of Justice than when I was there 30 and 40 years ago. I don't like to do numbers, but <laughs> that's what we're kind of looking at. And the concept of the rule of law means that everyone in this country who, who comes in contact with any law enforcement, court system, whatever, at any stage, county, federal, state, city, any of it, is supposed to be treated equally with any other person, regardless of their position or political party or social, socioeconomic status, anything. And we know we've long struggled uh, to apply the rule of law equally to minorities. That has been a, a constant battle. I, I think we've made some progress there. But overall now, in the last 20 years, we've seen a remarkable deterioration in the rule of law with respect to the elite, globalist, leftist Democrats who seem to be able to get by with absolutely anything <clears throat> while conservatives are being put in solitary confinement for the smallest of crimes. We've watched as Black Lives Matter and Antifa have burned our cities and assaulted police officers and even killed people and are just turned out of jail as soon as they process through the, the first arrest cycle. While the January 6th prisoners have endured 
absolutely horrific conditions in what they call the DC Gulag. And I don't know if you saw recently, but they even wrote a letter uh, requesting to be transferred to Guantanamo Bay because terrorists that have attacked the United States and killed thousands of people have been treated with more human decency than have some of our veterans, military officers, uh, police officers, first responders that showed up at the Capitol on January 6th. And some of them did, did not commit a crime at all. Uh, there were a few, of course, that were doing things that shouldn't have been done. But we also think they were egged on substantially by FBI people in the crowd posing as, as other uh, people and inciting all kinds of problems. But the, the rule of law, we, we've got to find a way to restore that. And it, it derives its legitimacy from free and fair elections. Only by knowing that we have elected a legitimate government is it possible for us to respect and follow and enforce the law. It's one of the checks and balances that the founders put in our brilliant constitution, that and the concept of the three different branches of government and principles of federalism. Without that, we are no different than the corrupt countries all around the globe that are so corrupt you can see it as soon as you land at their airport or, or dock at their ports. The disparity between the upper class and the rest of the country is it's, it's palpable, it's visible, you can touch it, you can see it, you can feel it. That is what they're trying to push us to. Somebody was asking me earlier today, you know, what are we really facing? Well, what we're really facing is, is a, a communist takeover of the United States of America. And, and, and as we know, they, they don't have any respect for the rule of law whatsoever. There is a, an organized, massive effort to attack and destroy all of the lawyers who have stood up for the rule of law for justice, for election integrity. There's a group called the 65 Project that you've probably never heard of, but it's very well organized, it's very well funded. In fact, they instantly had $2.5 million just in the state of Texas to attack Texas lawyers. I am one of them. Uh, 19 grievances, I think, were filed against me in the Texas bar by um, some people affiliated with that group and others that follow the same mindset simply for having filed the election lawsuits. And the Texas Bar has elevated those grievances first to an investigatory hearing and now to filing a lawsuit against me in Texas District Court that I am defending personally with the help of some very good lawyers. Uh, but. The 65 Project is going after, they've, they've listed 111 lawyers, everyone that filed a suit against Trump, I mean, on, uh, for or presumably on behalf of Trump to challenge the election results. And they've listed us on a website. I'm pretty high on their list. They filed grievances against me in Michigan. They filed grievances against me in Arizona. Um, 
the Governor Evers of Wisconsin sought sanctions against me. Uh, Governor Whitmer in Michigan and uh, A.G. Nessel and uh, Secretary of State Benson in Michigan all filed a motion for sanctions against me that the Michigan court judge granted. So that's now on appeal to the Sixth Circuit. We've had to brief that ad nauseum. But the 65 Project is assaulting the very essence of our system by trying to destroy the lawyers that are willing to stand up for things that they disagree with. One of the things I told Judge Parker in the two minutes I managed to speak at the end of the what she called the sanctions hearing was that if it weren't for lawyers who were willing to stand up, even, again, even in the face of adverse precedent, and we're not talking about adverse precedent here, but if we didn't have lawyers that are willing to stand up and fight for ideas that other people disagree with, we wouldn't have Brown versus Board of Education. We wouldn't have scads of Supreme Court decisions that have helped improve and, and define our country and protect the rule of law. If they take out all the lawyers they disagree with, then there will be nobody left to defend any of you, any of us. And, and the, the damnedest thing is that when the terrorists attacked the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and 9-11 happened, Democrats ran to defend the people that were wound up in Guantanamo Bay and they were lauded for it. They received awards. They were honored by their bar associations. But now Mark Elias and the 65 Project have managed to uh, change the bar rules in most of the states so that even a, a non-lawyer, somebody that had nothing to do with me in any of the cases whatsoever, pure strangers out there to the litigation can file grievances and, and I have to defend myself as do all the other lawyers that they've attacked. We have got to fight back against this. I know you were told to silence your cell phones, but the next time you turn them on, please pull up defendingtherepublic.org and sign up for our newsletters. We only send them out three times a week. They're pretty short, but they'll give you information you won't find anywhere else. In our C4 nonprofit, we are defending January 6 prisoners. We're providing for their defense. We're defending multiple military members who do not want the COVID jab. And we are uh, fighting Dominion voting systems. Somebody asked me yesterday why I just kind of disappeared. I just dropped out of public view. <clears throat> well, Dominion sued me and every newscaster that had me on a program for $1.7 billion. And they did it about 18 months ago. Lou Dobbs got fired because of it. Um, they sued Maria Bartiromo, One American News, Newsmax, uh, Lou. Uh, I, I, I've lost track of how many of us are defending the Dominion suit. And they even sued Defending the Republic, which didn't even exist at the time I made those statements. All we want is the truth. And like I said, the American public is entitled to the truth. That's the very basic thing our government owes us. But now we know that they have been lying to us 
and I can trace the voter fraud, the election fraud from the computers, I believe, back as far as the year 2000 when they were first brought in to be used in some of the states. And then the whole hanging chad issue was designed to help usher in more computerized voting because it's a complete black box. And for the country, for the law enforcement officials not to allow inspection, complete inspection of the voting machines should be a crime. There's actually a federal statute that requires preservation of all voting records for 22 months for the very purpose of allowing full and complete transparency in our elections. That's, again, part of the foundation of the rule of law that sets us apart from other countries. And for them to keep that as a black box that we cannot inspect or, or understand, it's, it's, it's so wrong. It just boggles my mind that we even have to argue or fight about this. And I learned recently, or I heard recently, we still have to verify this in the Dominion lawsuit, but that the source code that controlled the election in Georgia is actually kept in London. It kind of makes it hard to get in the discovery process when it's held by a company in London. So we are in the war day in and day out. We will stay in it as long as we possibly can to fight for everything that we know you hold dear, that I hold dear, that we want for our children and our grandchildren. Please go to defendingtherepublic.org and get our newsletter. Uh, Debbie, how am I doing on time? I want to try to honor the time schedule. Six minutes. Six, wow. I'll take a question if anybody wants to ask one. Oh, we're going to have a Q&A later. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, then I will just tell you again, thank you for being here. Everybody, we have to fix this. We've got to fix it this election cycle or we will be completely over the cliff. I feel like we're over the cliff already, but we've at least got a rope and some climbing tools that we can get back up with. But you have got to get out and vote on election day. Do not vote early. Um, they can look in the vault of votes. They can see what, what's going on. Uh, I found the patent that our own government got funded uh, during the Bush administration to mo real-time monitor elections, to inject false voters into the voter database, and another one that allows uh, an algorithm to predetermine the results of an election. The math geeks know how to do it. It's, it's no big deal at all. Clint Curtis, back in 2004, told the House Judiciary Committee under oath that it's only 100 lines of code, and the code can be written so that it eats itself, and nobody ever knows it was there. This has been going on for a long time. I, I don't know how and why it took me this long to see it, but there are a lot of people that don't know it yet. You've got to talk to your friends about all these issues all the time whether you're in the grocery store in line or at the getting your hair done or the barber shop or, or whatever, talk to people about these issues. We've got to get out and vote on election day. We have to overwhelm the system with so many votes, it disrupts their cheating because I'm convinced they're going to cheat as long as they possibly can. 
I, I wish that were not true, but I really think it is. And there seems to be nothing too low for them to do to accomplish what they want for this country, which is the complete destruction of the middle class and a totalitarian, authoritarian regime that tells us what you can do and when you can do it and puts social credits in place just like the Chinese Communist Party has. So we have got to fight back. We have to fight back now and we can make a difference. Every one of you can make a difference. It takes absolutely all of us. Thank you again and I look forward to talking more in our panel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sidney. That, that was an amazing speech. I meant to say earlier that what we're going to try to do is have one or two or three, sometimes speakers, uh, individually, and then have them come up in a panel, and that's when we'll do our Q&A, so you have plenty of time to think of your questions and to write out questions on the index cards. And as I always say, I have plenty of questions. If no one thinks of one, I'll have plenty. But I'd love to have you get to ask questions. And, and, and Sydney, that was our, already, if we just said, okay, that's it, summit's over, that would be a really, it would be worth coming just for that speech. Thank you so very much. This first segment we're on, we have, we had three speakers planned. And the next person coming up in just a moment is, um, is excuse me, is Sharona, yeah, I'm sorry, yes, is Sharona Bishop. She was actually going to come up with Tina Peters. I'm gonna take you one minute to tell you about Tina Peters, and then Shona Bishop will come up. But some of you know the name Tina Peters. She was a county clerk in Mesa County, Colorado, and she's a lovely, um, you know, just public servant, hadn't been in politics, decided to serve in, um, as a county clerk, which in that case means the administer of the elections. And she just was trying to improve the system there. So Tina Peters, uh, in the 2020 elections, did not notice anything particularly amiss. Her county w it, you know, went Republican, and that was to be expected, but there were some concerns. Well, then the very, I think it was just a few months later, they had an election in the uh, city of Grand Junction, Colorado, which is something like 75 or 80 percent Republican. And in that election, which she's still overseeing the county clerk, as county clerk, in that election, they had people running for city council, and, they, and four Democrats won the open seats at the city council race. And Tina Peters, I mean, she just said that didn't happen in, in this massively majority Republican area. She decided to look into the question of whether the Dominion voting machines were problematic. And she did look into them. And among the things that she, if she could be here today, she cannot, and I'll tell you why she cannot in a moment. But what she did in looking into those machines is ended up uh, having a, a report generated, which was then reviewed by cyber experts. And you can actually Google, and I'm gonna get the correct name of the thing you can, or you shouldn't use Google, don't say Google. Look up online with a better um, search engine. Mesa County report number three. Mesa County report number three because it was, it's a very lengthy report talking about what was discovered inside the Dominion voting machines. And this report, number three, has been called the Rosetta Stone 
of discovery of how the Dominion voting machines are used to manipulate elections. And so for her efforts in exposing that truth, she was prosecuted, she was indicted, and she now has uh, seven felony, three misdemeanor, misdemeanor indictments. So she's in Colorado. She uh, has been told by the judge that she cannot leave the state of Colorado. Like she's a flight risk. I mean, she's a, you know, she's a woman in her 60s. She's a model citizen. She uncovered truth, which enrages the left, who doesn't believe you actually should get to do that. You're not supposed to be able to figure out what the truth is, which is what she managed to expose. So this judge has ruled she could not, can't leave the state. Prior to her trial, she's uh, asked for um, particular permission to come here. And uh, that was denied. And just this morning, I'm trying to see where Sandy is, but just this morning, we were trying to make a last minute effort here to see if we could arrange for her to uh, come in via a, um, a Zoom call. And um, we couldn't quite make it work here. We, we wanted to do that. And if we do figure out even later in the day, then we will we'll try to bring her to you because she's been texting me late last night, early this morning. She really liked to be here and just tell you what's occurring with her. But she's a good example of someone which uh, of the notion that what's occurring right now, the leftists in this country, whatever term you want to call them, communist, socialist, leftists, they actually don't think you're entitled to know the truth and they're going to punish you. We cannot have her. Okay, can't get her. Sorry, we tried to do that. Fortunately for us today, we do have Sharona Bishop joining us next. Sharona Bishop at this time that we're, I'm describing did live in Colorado. She's also, if you've ever watched, I'm, I think one of the most completely entertaining and wonderful um, new members of Congress, Lauren Boebert, uh, from Colorado. We, the person you're about to hear speak, Sharona Bishop, actually ran her campaign, and she was key in alerting and, and helping Tina Peters understand how they might be able to look into what occurred in the election machines uh, in Mesa County, Colorado. She's an activist. She's an election integrity um, you know, just determined to bring election integrity, has worked with some of the top figures I've had in my show that are nationally working on exposing issues with election integrity. Um, she's also a um, talk show. She has her own show, and it's called Sharona B America's Mom with Sharona Bishop. She is kind of like America's mom. She also had an encounter with the FBI. I'm really hoping she will share with you today because when we talk about the, the loss of rule of law, it is the loss of our a, just underlying unspoken assumption that, of course, in America's system, our government will follow the rule of law. Shona Bishop, please welcome her to the stage. Hear much more about her experiences in Colorado. Well, in a time when courage is in extremely short supply, Tina Peters is one of the most courageous people I have ever met. Clerk Tina Peters of Mesa County, Colorado. And everything that Debbie said is correct. We decided a long time ago, well, not that long ago, it feels like we've been doing this forever now, but it's really just been a, four short years that we've been involved in policy. And by we, I mean me and all of these moms in Colorado. And um, we decided from the very beginning that if an elected official was willing to stand up for us, we would hold the line for them no matter where it took us. Even the FBI, even the indictments, even all the shenanigans that have happened to Tina Peters, we will always stand with her, we will always support her, and we will always defend her, always. Uh, 
my, my, just a quick little backstory. My name is Sharona Bishop. I'm a mom of four. I've been married for 24 years to my high school sweetheart, and he thinks I'm crazy. But he's finally on this bandwagon too because see, what's happened is um, as we stepped away and we kind of Jesus was coming back in the 80s, and I think kind of what happened is at least for me and my community, we got so consumed with fear. We said we're not going to be about politics. We're going to be about the kingdom, not understanding that these things are intertwined. Policy is intertwined with the kingdom, and what we're supposed to be doing as the hands and feet of God is to pee in the public square. But somehow we got boarded up in the church while all of these crazy radicals took over our country. And that was actually considered spiritual. I've had a change of heart, obviously. So the last four years um, in Colorado, we had a very aggressive, progressive, psychotic uh, governor win an election that was really impossible to believe he won. And that's Jared Polis. Remember that name. He's a very dangerous person very dangerous. He was a congressman. He spent a million dollars to be the Board of Education member in Colorado. He has totally transformed that state in less than three years. He, the very first thing he did in the first 90 days was destroy every industry we have in Colorado and introduced a bill called Comprehensive Sex Education. And I, um, at that time, we had been holding concerned citizens meeting. I'm a nobody. I'm a mom. I just got tired of watching our elected officials do nothing and smile about it and ask you to reelect them for that. And, um, and so we started having what we call concerned citizens meeting, very much like a room like this. And I sent out invitations and said, come, I'm inviting our elected officials. Let's all hold them, to ca um, hold them accountable together. This is going to be fun. And we would read the supreme law to them and remind them who they work for. As, uh, as Sidney Powell just stated, they work for us not the other way around. They are not superstars. They are not rock stars. They're not people to be adored. They are people to be held accountable. That's our role and our job as citizens in this country is to hold them accountable and stop elevating them. If anything, they should walk in shining your shoes. They should walk in bringing gifts to you and trying to, and trying to win over you by their actions, not by their words. It was an amazing experience. And um, out of that came so many things. But one morning I was sitting there and I was like, Lord, what is this that we're doing? What is this? We didn't have America's mom yet. And uh, I said, I want to name it and I want to do something with this. And um, he said, in my quiet time with him, it's going to be America's mom. And I said, that's obnoxious. And people are not going to like that. And I was kind of crying because I'm like, great. Um, anytime that you surrender yourself to the Lord, be prepared. Because, uh, I mean, you, you kind of go through the valleys because he's going to rebuild you. He's going to humble you and rebuild you. And um, so America's mom was born. And the first thing we did was got on Facebook and read the comprehensive sex education bill. And I tell you all of this because nobody gave me permission. Nobody said, Trona, will you start doing this? Like, we really need this. You should fill in this gap. I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do? I have um, a strong um, sense that many of you in this room kind of have that feeling in your gut. Like, it's not enough what I'm doing. I want to do what's going to save our country. And what I've learned from there is, um, you know, God doesn't need amazing people. He just needs willing people. And um, in my life, we, we started doing that. America's mom was born. We read that bill. 157,000 Facebook bots swarmed my stupid little page where I was just sitting there in a sundress reading a bill. And my husband was like, you're over the target. And it was exciting because I was like, oh my gosh, if the regular people step up, they won't know what to do. And it reminded me of something in Exodus 
and uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you guys real quickly, but this is really important because everything is cyclical. These are patterns in humanity that we see over and over and over again, and in those patterns we see people rise up, and sometimes their names are even mentioned. I just want to read this very briefly. Um, we know in, in the book of Exodus, the first chapter, we know what was going on. They've got a tyrant. Tyrant is a person who abuses the power that God has given them, right? That's what they're doing. So the Pharaoh is abusing his power, and he wants to kill a whole generation of baby boys. That's sounding very familiar. Um, and he asks these two maid, these midwives, when the baby boys are born, kill them. And the two midwives get to be named. I do want to say their names, Shipra and Pua, because God says their names in this book. It's really important. Two women, probably two mothers, who would not comply. But the point of it is, is um, he says, I, I, I just wanted to read this first to you. Um, the more that they afflicted them, meaning the Jews, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, and all their service in which they made, they made them serve with vigor. Uh, they were being persecuted. And what I found interesting about this story was that it was two women, First of all, they did not comply. Secondly, and where the heck were the fathers? Why didn't they rise up at that time when they knew that the Pharaoh was saying, we want all the baby boys killed? It really struck me one day, where was their line in the sand? Why did it have to be these two inconspicuous women who had not been given authority by anyone else or told to, do, to, to not comply? They just did what they knew was right. Where were the fathers? Why wasn't that the line in the sand? You guys might remember a, a movie called Free State of Jones, and uh, Matthew McConaughey plays this incredible character, Newton Knight, and I've read the book, and it's absolutely amazing. There's a story in there of a mother, and um, the soldiers come, they're looking for all the men. If you remember the story, the men are hiding in the swamp, right? Because they're trying to get some freedom. And these soldiers come looking for the husbands, and the mother has her and her three kids, and she's standing outside. They come and they start just desecrating her property. They destroy everything, her corn, killer chickens, all that. Then they moved towards her, I believe it was a cow or a mule. They moved towards her cow or mule, whichever it was. And she knows if they kill that mule, she cannot plow a new field to get that corn back. She can't grow anything. That will be the bottom line for her. That was the line in the sand. She picked up a giant stick and she laid that soldier out. It's a true story. She laid that soldier out and the other soldiers did not come against her. They recognized her authority. She was a mother protecting her children, and that was the line in the sand for her. And that's really what it is to, for me being here today, is to challenge you with where is the line in the sand for you? I don't come to many of these events because we're working on the ground. We literally work with grassroots activists all across the country. Um, this is what we do. After we discovered the, it, the inconsistencies in that city council election, we started going door to door to determine whether or not people had voted. And the state of Colorado Secretary of State called us terrorists, started saying that we were threatening people and to watch out for us and call the police if you felt unsafe when we came to your door. We ended up uh, canvassing 18 counties, the incredible patriots of Colorado, just freedom-loving Americans who did not um, be believe the direction we were going was organic in Colorado, especially after what Jared Polis had pulled. And they called us all kinds of extremist things, but after 18 counties were done, a report was put together uh, by the extraordinary, extraordinary efforts of these, these incredible people. And we found that no less than 10% just by door knocking and saying, did you vote in the 2020 election? 10% of our votes are manipulated, they're not real. 
These 10% of voters in Colorado did not vote in an election that they are charged with voting in. Now, lawlessness um, is abounding. There's no doubt about it. And um, after we did that canvassing effort, uh, we also held a briefing for our county commissioners in Mesa County to demonstrate that that city council race was not organic. There's something going on with these machines, and Clerk Tina Peters has a report coming out very soon, and we want to give you guys an advance notice. Well, in that county commissioner call on a Zoom link was every news agency across the country. I thought it was just coming in to present some information to my elected officials because I'm trying to do a service for them, and Merrick Garland was on that call. This was in September. I was a little freaked out because uh, I'm like, we're not doing anything illegal. We haven't done anything wrong. We're bringing information to help you, our elected officials, serve this community better and get us out of these machines because they were debating about renewing a contract with Dominion Voting Systems. It is a black box. Nobody can see inside of it. Nobody knows how to run it. It's so complicated that against state law of Colorado, the clerks call Dominion workers to come in and help them do the elections. That's against the law. And they do it anyway, and no DA will prosecute it, no police officer will come in and arrest anybody, no sheriff will hold them accountable. Lawlessness is abounding in Colorado, and that's just the roadmap for the rest of the country. Once the national popular, um, uh, what is it, popular vote interstate compact takes an effect, we're all in trouble. They've got all kinds of angles that they're trying to destroy this country with. It's not just the machines. They're prepared. They've got another plan. But what we learned is that they don't like it. They don't like it when you nobodies decide to get involved in your backyard politics. They do not like it. It scares them half to death. Like the Pharaoh was quivering and said, all those children, all those children they're, they're having, we are terrified of them because one day they're going to wake up. One day there's going to be a line in the sand and they're going to rebel against us. Well, that's what this deep underbelly fears the most. You're going to wake up and you're actually going to do something with all of the knowledge that you've, you've gained, with all the information that you have, but most of all, with the fervency that you have in your, in your gut that things are not right. And this is not what the founders determined for us. And by the way, there's no place to run to. I heard someone say Poland the other day and then like two days later, I know, two days later, Poland's being pulled into the war over there. There's no other place to run. This is it for us. God is always allowing us into this position if we want to take it. I look at people like Mike Lindell and what he's done. He's become a really good friend of mine. He's defended us. He's provided security for us. And the lawfare that we've talked about is um, been unbelievable. Uh, Tina Peters, at 66 years old, has lost everything. They have taken everything from her for exposing election fraud. She, I mean, we have the best, most amazing professionals, experts who've done these reports, and it's not enough. Lawsuits abound in Colorado, and there's not one courageous judge who will hear the case. We have a new lawsuit that we just waged that simply said the machines were never properly certified, they're illegal to use. No conspiracy, no emotion, no you know, stolen election. No judge will hear it. No judge. Courage is lacking in America. And at every position, like was expressed earlier, we have to decide that where we are at, God needs us to be courageous. On November 16th, our life took a totally different turn. So I was kind of like bebopping around and I'm having these things and I'm like, this is so fun and, you know, we're going to save America. This is great. And I really did not understand the weight of what we were doing. 
And when Sydney Powell came out, by the way, that day when she said, we're going to release the crack, and I want you to know, Jesus calling. Jesus' calling card was dropped on my family, and my husband was like, it's game on. And, and it was a, an amazing moment, but at that same time, the darkness released the devils. They released the hounds of hell. Because a couple women, a couple men, November 16th, 9.30 in the morning, I'm homeschooling my two little boys, and I've been very transparent, very vocal. If you watch my goofy videos on Facebook, you know I just put it all out there, spilling the tea constantly, tattling on these politicians. But they don't like that. They don't like being held accountable. They don't like it. 9.30 in the morning, I hear banging on my front door. I literally, you guys, had pulled a berry cobbler out of my oven. The only thing I can think is God is good because that's, the whole situation was so embarrassing and shameful um, that happened at my home, and they knew it. They took a battering ram to my front door because they said I didn't answer my door fast enough. That was confirmed when Mike Lindell's phone was taken from him at the Hardee's that he was at uh, when they, when they um, served him a warrant just a couple weeks ago. They said Sharona didn't answer her door fast enough. 45 seconds maybe tops, but we'll never know because we foia the footage from our home over and over and over and they give us new hoops every couple weeks to jump through. For over almost a year now, we've not been able to get that footage of the raid on our home. We still don't have our stuff back. They took a battering ram to the door just as my husband was about to open that door. The clasps on the door go flying, but you know, the door was unlocked. They didn't even try the knob. <laughs> we live in rural Colorado, you know, we have guns, it's fine. They proceeded to pull, they had their long guns out. They absolutely had all their guns drawn. It was like a freaking army out there. There were so many of them. They pulled people in from four different states, we learned, just by talking to one of the agents. But we can't stop child sex trafficking in Colorado. We don't, we don't even track it anymore, by the way. We don't even track child sex trafficking in Colorado. That office was disbanded the first month Polis took, took over, by the way due to renovations that and then just never opened again. Um, they pulled my husband out, handcuffed him illegally. He wasn't on the warrant, and then um, proceeded to handcuff me. And I stood outside. My two boys were in their bedroom. We had been schooling, so they came out of their bedrooms to see what was going on. Um, very naughty. I told them to stay in their rooms. But <laughs> they came out, and I mean, that's the moment, right? Gosh. For three hours, three and a half hours, they were at my home, going through our entire home, our life, taking pictures of everything. Um, we knew we couldn't stay after that, but my boys, my daughter was super angry. My daughter was very angry. They manhandled her on the stairs, pulling her up and down the stairs by her hoodie. It was just unnecessary. And um, after three and a half hours, they finally left. Um, <laughs> wouldn't show me the warrant until they finally were leaving. But there's a point of that story I really want you to know. When uh, they were in my home, I asked the investigator, what do you think I've done that merits all of this? I'm not an elected official. I don't have any money. Um, I don't really have any like connections uh, that I knew of that I thought were significant. Why are you here? And he said, you connect people. The warrant said um, that I was, uh, it was some kind of uh, wireless, wire fraud, right? They were, it was a permission from a wire fraud thing, which is money. 
right? You're getting paid to do this stuff, to, to do whatever. They just wanted access to my stuff. They wanted to take my things. And since that's happened, FBI agents have come forward and told me that's what we use for everybody so we can get into their stuff. It's just a blanket so we can see what you're doing. You don't have to have real cause in America anymore. So he said, you connect people. That's not a crime. And that's why we knew immediately they wanted to scare us. They wanted to intimidate us. The Attorney General of Colorado, along with the District Attorney, issued a press release saying that no violence was, no force was used uh, in the um, distribution of the search warrants, dot, 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 at Tina Peters' home. They refused to acknowledge me or my family or what happened to us. So we immediately went to social media and we immediately doubled down. And that's what you have to do. You have to double down. You cannot let these fools shut you down, silence you, just keep you in fear that you're going to lose. What do you have to lose? We're about to lose the whole dadgum country. Who, who cares if you lose your phone? We're going to lose it all if people don't stop being afraid. What I see is people hold on so tightly to the few little things they think that they have. And they never do anything meaningful with it. They don't. I see it all the time. Oh, good for you. I'm so glad. We want to find individuals who will do it for us so that we don't have to do it. But the problem is we're in this position because a lot of us didn't do what God was asking us to do in the time he asked us to do it because it seemed a foolish. You didn't have the time. You had no resource. I can tell you what we do a ton with dozens of dollars, a ton. Um, and just for clarity on Lauren Boebert, I only ran the primary campaign and we did that with dozens of dollars and, and took out a 10 year incumbent. God is doing awesome stuff. He loves outrageous ideas. He loves things that seem impossible. And saving this country seems very impossible right now. Every single one of you who has a burden, has a check in your spirit, you've got to act on it. You've got to figure out what is God asking you to do. And then you've got to proceed forward. Do not worry what the world thinks about you. It doesn't matter. The day that we surrendered was the day that we finally came alive. My family is so alive. My boys learned more in that three and a half hours than they would ever learn in a public school system, I'll tell you that. They know the proper role of government. They know the abuse of the law. And they know the order of the lesser magistrate. By the way, the doctrine and order of the lesser magistrate. You have authority. God already gave it to you. And our founders expected that you would exercise it every single day if you want to what? live in a republic, if you want to what, have a future for your children, you have to do it. If you look a little crazy for a moment, there's big rewards on the other side. Big rewards on the other side. In closing, um, there, I know we're going to do a panel. I don't know what time. Oh, we're right on time. Okay. Uh, in closing, I just want to say this, that um, we're, we're not called, and you'll hear it all throughout this day, I know, because I know real patriots understand this. We're not called to fear. We're not. And so changing our mindset, it was so, um, it's been awesome to watch people who really have suffered. We didn't suffer. We just got a taste of abuse of power. And we doubled down. But for those who really are suffering, they are telling us, don't live in a state of fear. Fear is what got us where we're at right now. God needs us to be courageous. He needs us to move forward with courage and conviction wherever that takes us. You know, I mentioned Mike Lindell. That man has sacrificed everything he has. Everything he has. The world calls him crazy. 
but he's fighting for the future of America. President Trump surrendered everything he has because he's fighting for a future for his grandchildren. And then you and I, every day there's something in our lives. I never, ever, ever expected to be here talking to you guys. I'm a mom. But I know that once God pricks your heart and says, move, if you do it, what does it say? He uses the um, foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And that's exactly what's happening right now in my life and what's happening in so many of your lives. So I just encourage you in closing to trust the Lord. There's a, pass, there's a, a verse in uh, 2 Samuel 14, 14, and it says, just to remind you of the heart of God, God does not take away life, but rather he is devising plans to bring the banished ones back. That's what God's doing right now. It's not about the things that we see and all the nonsense that Kamala and Biden and Susan Rice and all of them do. It's about what God is working out. And this is the greatest adventure we could ever be on. And that's the one he's called you to. So God bless you. Thank you for letting me share my story with you. And uh, Debbie, Debbie, thank you so much. Our next speaker, first of all, thank you so very, very much, um, Sharona. Our next speaker is another person who needs absolutely no introduction. I was going to tell you, by the way, we uh, intended to have a clock right here so the speakers could see their time, and it's, it's going to be fixed at lunchtime. So that, I don't mean to interrupt them when I stand up, but they, the clock isn't working right now. So I'm trying to make sure they know uh, we all commit to stay on time. So the next person needs pretty much no introduction. She'll be speaking twice today, actually, Dr. Simone Gold. This is our segment, the first segment this morning is on the rule of law, election integrity, and uh, someone who knows a lot about when the rule of law doesn't work so well uh, is Dr. Simone Gold. You may know her story a little bit. She's going to tell you much more about it. Uh, she spoke at our summit two years ago, just when COVID was just getting rolling, and what do we think about healthcare freedom? And here we are today. I'm sure neither of us ever pictured all that would unfold in these two years, but she's going to talk with you about January 6th, rule of law, Department of Justice. Please help me welcome to the stage Dr. Simone Gold. Okay, th uh, is, is this audible? It's okay? Great. Um, I'm going to try to talk a little quicker than I normally do just because there's really so much to say and I want to just make comment on something Sydney said and something Sharona said, so it's a little bit out of, a little bit out of order. I was unfamiliar with all the struggles that you were going through, Sydney, and the legal, the legal battles because I really keep my head down on the medical space. I'm a doctor and a lawyer, but the lane God has put me in the last couple of years has really been in the medical lane. But the 65 project that Sydney mentioned, we have the exact same thing going on in medicine. It's called No License for Disinformation, run by a renegade, uh, I guess he's human, uh, Nick Sawyer. And his mission in life is to try to get doctors to lose their license. That's his mission. On the anti-mission to push back on him, I fought the Medical Board of California this week. That struggle will probably go on for six more months or a year. But I do it. I do it for all the doctors behind me. Like, I'm fine. Essentially, I'm running in a, you know, I'm, I'm working for America's Frontline Doctors now, right? So it's not as though I personally need my medical license. But if I collapse, all the doctors behind me collapse. So I just wanted you to know that this is happening in every industry. The other thing I wanted to comment on what Sharona said 
is that the other side doesn't believe this is all grassroots. My first taste of this was in April of 2020, I had given some interview and got a lot of press on it. And the AP reporter stated in the AP article, which then went out everywhere, that I was a Trump operative. And I, at the time, was so offended because I had worked my tail off to get all these doctors together. Everything was grassroots. I had put together a thousand doctors to speak out against the lockdown. I mean, man, to this day, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. It got millions of hits on Forbes.com and I had done it. And to ha I just felt like, wow, you're saying I'm a Trump operative? It was, it was insane. So they, they, I don't know if they don't believe in it or, or they're just lying, but they clearly don't believe that this thing is organic. Well, it is. And whoever said, um, oh, you were afraid Merrick Garland, right? So I had the pleasure of, uh, the judge in my Jan 6th case happens to be good friends with Merrick Garland. I know this because he was the officiant at his wedding. So it's delightful. Okay, now let me talk about my experience. So I was physically at the Capitol on January 6th. For those of you who don't know, I was actually an invited guest speaker, really just maybe a couple of hundred yards away from the Capitol. In other words, I had a permit to be there. There were Lauren Boebert actually, I think was supposed to share the stage that day. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, I forget who else, there's about 20. But when we showed up, they didn't let us speak. To this day, it's unclear. But that's why I was in December that day. I sought out every opportunity to speak in public. I spoke to a crowd of thousands on the third, a couple of thousands on the fifth. The sixth was my next, the 10th was my next. But that's why I was there. I wasn't there to talk about the election or I, I stick to my lane, which is health freedom. That's why I was there. I ended up getting pulled into the whole thing and I was physically in the Capitol. They have a video of this entire of my entire time there, and it's very bizarre to have been arrested for something for which the government has the entire alleged crime on video, where they charge you with things that say disorderly, and they literally have the video of me walking peacefully between the ropes. I mean, it's a very surreal feeling, and you know that the justice system is not working. I mean, if they didn't have that video, and I was physically in the Capitol, I suppose you could imagine that I was disorderly, but they literally had the video of, of me walking peacefully and a video of me giving a speech. They had the video. So let's talk about, you know, your title, Department of Justice J6, and, and it, you know, is there justice? But two years ago, an attorney from outside the nation asked me if I thought the American judiciary as a whole was corrupt. And I naively told him I didn't think so, because at that time, I thought of corruption as kind of a money exchange. If someone bribes you, pays you off. That's kind of what I thought of. I said, well, I'm sure there's some of it, but I don't think that as overall that the judiciary is corrupt. Not true. Corruption cannot just be defined as like bribery, quid pro quo kind of situation. There's three aspects to our criminal justice system. There's the, I mean, how you should think of it. There's the prosecution, there's the judiciary, and there's the Bureau of Prisons. So now I've experienced all three. So I'm going to tell you from my personal experience, which I've verified is universal. Again, I'm an eyewitness to it, and I've now spoken with eyewitnesses. Prosecutors absolutely do not follow the law. The law requires the prosecutors to indict for charges for which they, the person they're indicting, they've met all the elements. In other words, you don't decide on jury day if the person has done all of those things. The indictment must be given if the prosecutor knows that you've already met the elements. This is critical, especially on the January 6th, because they're charging people with felonies for which they had no evidence. In my particular case, they charged a felony called obstruction of a federal proceeding. And there's, you know, five or four elements of it. I, I met none of the elements. One of the elements is a word called corruptly. 
corruptly as in, you know, bribing someone, getting some benefit. For example, at the very least, that's easy to understand. I was there giving a health speech. There was no pretense that there was anything else. So they knowingly are charging for crimes, charging indict or indicting you for things that they know they don't have the evidence. And then once I went into prison, I had many conversations with many of the women, and I discovered that was universal. And they do this because then everybody takes a plea. I never thought I would take a plea. Right? I, I, you know, never did I think I would take a plea. And about a year into the process, I discovered that this felony charge that they had over my head, in addition to threatening my medical and legal license, had a 20-year penalty. And you think to yourself, like in my case, like I'm leading or, or, or supporting an organization. How can I potentially harm that organization by a threat like that, let alone it was in a jury of DC? So that is why people take pleas, because you're being charged with crimes that they don't have the elements, and that is flat out against the law, and that goes to the corruption of the prosecution. And I saw this over and over, and I'm just going to throw in there, I'm not a financial person, but every white-collar, almost every white-collar female I met in prison had been brought in on including wire fraud. I know almost nothing about finances. I know that the moment I got out, literally the next day, I said to my accountant, let's do any other way than wiring money. Let, can we send old-fashioned checks? I don't know what the deal is, but they get everyone on wire fraud. And I'm just throwing that out there for people who are in finance, maybe look into the old-fashioned way. Two, the judiciary. I saw judges not following the evidentiary rules. In my case, the judge admitted into evidence things that I knew from law school are really inadmissible. My co-defendant went on trial, and the prosecution, he refused to take a plea from a deep sense of righteousness and belief in God, won't bow his head to idolatry, won't bear false witness. So he was offered a single misdemeanor like I was, and he literally said, I am going to go to trial. I won't bear false witness. It's un unbelievable. So what is the government's case against him? The government puts up nine witnesses, seven of whom had nothing at all to do with, with him. They just basically were talking about January 6th generally in the Capitol. I, I learned in law school this is utterly inadmissible. No problem. I saw judges not following the rules on jury selection. The jury selection process is intended to weed out people who are hyper like prejudiced for or against the defendant. So if you go to sit on a jury and you know your brother's a cop or your husband's a cop and they say, you know, do you always believe a cop? And you say, well, yes, I always believe cops. My husband's a cop. I love cops. They excuse you. And same thing. No, I was arrested by a cop. It was unfair. I hate cops. They're the worst. Same thing. The people in voir dire in the jury selection were asked, do you think if you were there at the Capitol on Jan 6th, you're guilty? Six of them said yes. They said yes. And guess what? Those people were allowed to sit for the jury. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm just, I couldn't believe it. Now, the lawyer was able to get rid of four of them on his own challenges, but he shouldn't have had to use them for that. I, I don't understand how this is legal. Judge did that. I saw the judges saying factually inaccurate things from the bench. In my case, he said I showed no remorse. I don't know how he would know because I was at a sentencing only, never had spoken in a year and a half since my arrest, never said a word. I showed no remorse for the five people who died in the Capitol. And I thought to myself, did he just say that? Like, like it's factually inaccurate. It was like Justice Sotomayor said 100,000 children are on ventilators from COVID. So they just literally saying factually inaccurate things. So yes, the judiciary is corrupted. And the third form is the BOP. The Bureau of Prison is perceiving their role as to punish all the time, not just to be neutral, and definitely, definitely not for correction and reform.
So that's not the BOP's role. The BOP role is just to kind of be neutral and keep you over here while you serve your time. But they took every opportunity to punish prisoners. Here's an example of something a guard said. This is an exact quote. She was angry at, all, at the you know, people on our, the women in the, in the unit um, because we quote unquote weren't following the rules, whatever it was, I forget. She said, quote, um, it's in the rule book. She said, this is a quote, quote, even though you don't have and weren't given the book, you signed for it, so it's on you that you're breaking the rules. That's an exact quote from the Bureau of Prison Lady. Okay, so I bring all this up because this is like the new face of corruption. Don't think of corruption as quid pro quo. It's kind of a state-financed, hungry beast. And that is, and so I think the judiciary is beyond repair. I, you know, what we do about it is another matter, but I just wanted to give you those first-hand eyewitness examples of the corruption in the judiciary, the corruption in the prosecution, which, by the way, I think is worse than the judiciary. The fact that the prosecutors are coming to you and, and they use wire fraud, I just was like, oh, there you go, wire fraud. It's always wire fraud. <laughs> wire fraud when they can't get anything else. My daily life, just because it's kind of fun to talk about, my daily life in the Bureau of Prison um, was kind of a contest. Um, the guards would sort of have a like a contest to see who could do less. I mean, they'd be sitting there and they'll say things like, oh, I can't do that, I'm too busy. Like, it was pretty funny, and I just want to share with you, it was just, uh, you know, it, it was just nothing like anybody in this room could really imagine. They took every opportunity to crush the human spirit, right, also very, very unnecessary. For a while, I was put in isolation. They call that quarantine, but they put the women in an isolation chamber. It was very, you know, not only was the, the physical environment dreadful, like basically seven by 10 space, metal rack to sleep on, Really worse than that is that this was the punishment cell, so the guards didn't seem to have the mental capacity to understand if you were quarantined versus isolation, right? I don't know, it's not that difficult. I mean, they, they'd like, you're, they would say nonsensical things to me like, well, you're not on punishment, you're on quarantine. I'm like, I'm sorry, how is that different? Because you're treating me like you're punishing me. You wouldn't give me a book, you didn't give me a cup for water. I don't know why it was so difficult for them to process the difference, but we were treated as though we were on punishment. I want to say, what is really the playbook for conservatives? Because we know, we know it's bad. Like, we're hearing all day how it's bad. And I think, like everything else, we have to understand exactly what our fight is. We all think of ourselves as like law and order kind of conservative people devoted to country. And I'm going to tell you that language matters. I'm going to kind of echo something that Sharona said. I no longer think of myself as a law and order person. This is crazy that I'm saying this, right? It's that corrupt. If you ask me, I would empty at least the federal prisons because I think the system that put them in is so much more dangerous than the women that I met there. That's how far along on this road I am. So I'm suggesting to you that just open your mind to the idea that maybe we are not so lockstep law and order. Maybe just, just consider that it's that corrupt. My experience was when the federal, it's Probably different at the state, which is kind of more physical crimes, but what I saw in the federal penitentiary, the people that are being held was insane. You will read about it in the book that I hope, if God willing, is going to be published on January 6th because I really want to poke them in the eye. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I think I'm not meeting my deadlines, but please look for it because I'm, I'll say all those. But just enter in your mind that maybe we're not so much the law and order party. Maybe it's something else. 
Number two, we always define ourselves as being for country. We're not for the country, we're for the Constitution. Redefine it for yourself. You're for God and you're for the Constitution. Words matter, what we tell ourselves matter. And if you keep telling yourself, oh, I'm pro-country, I'm not so sure, listen to our governors. So let this just percolate in your head. In confusing times, we need absolute truth to guide us what our policies should be. The only source for absolute truth is the Bible. That's it, period. You cannot figure out complex... You cannot figure out complex social issues in the moment. There's too much passion and emotion. What does the Bible say about abortion? What does it say about transgender, monogamy? What does it say about prison terms? I'll get to that in a moment. Four, the left changes language. We must not concede on this. I forgot to put up my slides, but there's the definition of vaccine was one definition until two, 2015. They gave it another definition, which they changed in September 2021. They just simply changed the definition. So let's say you had a truth-telling doctor like me saying this is not a vaccine. They actually made it a little harder for me to say that without getting into trouble because they actually changed the definition of the word against a, a vaccine, if we can find the vaccine slide. Um, number five, each human being matters. Our lackadaisical non-concern for prisoners. I want to say thank Sorry, you no, to no. so many people. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's like number three or something, three or four slide. One of my friends from prison. Can we go back to the vaccine slide? That, oh yeah, yeah, next. First of all, let's pause on the next slide, please. That's me. So listen, this is for you, Sharona. I am not going in frowning. I'm going in fighting. You see that? They're not gonna make me sad and depressed. What's the point of being sad and depressed? I'm like, bring it. Now to be fair, I didn't know I was going to isolation. I would have been a little bit more bummed. <laughs> um, but anyway, every human being matters. So we've spent decades not caring about prisoners. We've spent decades not caring about it because it's like out of sight, out of mind. But then it was inevitable that we didn't care about patients. And it's pretty inevitable we're not caring about confused children who think they're, you know, or ideas are being put in their head. If we do not care about every single individual, we, you, all of us are going to be on the firing block next. So even for your own self-interest, your own self-interest is why you should care. And also if you believe we're made in God's image, you must care. This is why criminal justice reform matters to all of us. The emphasis on the left, right, is on the criminal. But the emphasis for us is on justice. So don't let them hijack criminal justice reform on behalf of the criminal. We need to take it back on behalf of justice. As a practical matter, you know, I was, obviously I was, I was a Trump supporter, but he, you know, there's some shortcomings there. But one, one of the best, most important things he did that God will reward him richly in the afterlife was the First Step Act. Not, I didn't know that much about it. I knew Kim Kardashian went to the White House with, you know, that woman and, you know, that First Step Act was the most important thing that, that has happened to our criminal justice system in, you know, decades. There's people languishing there and their only hope, uh, you know, they're decent people and their only hope of getting out was this First Step Act. I looked up how the First Step Act came to be. What did I discover? It was pushed forward by a group called the Olive Institute. The Olive Institute is an offshoot of Chabad, Jewish Orthodox religious people. I would say the Jews are probably the least represented people in prison of any ethnic group. Why then did Chabad take this so seriously? Because in 1981, the Rebbe, a righteous man, many people believed he was the Messiah, for example. 
He was that righteous. He said every human life has dignity, and when you incarcerate people for years, you're interfering with their human dignity as given to them by God, and you're interfering with what God has intended them to do in their life. He came from that perspective. The Olive Institute was born. The Olive Institute is the one that put all the work for the First Step Act, and the First Step Act is a lifeline for prisoners. Next, in the Bible, I, I kept reading Exodus while I was in. It's the chapter, to, <laughs> the book to read when you're in prison. <laughs> Fantastic. I know Shifra and Pua really well. <laughs> um, in the Bible, it says justice before compassion. As justice is not happening, I am tilting toward compassion, which is why I said, as far as I'm concerned, I would open the doors to the prisons, because I have no faith that, that justice actually happens. So then I'm going to side with compassion. There is no biblical precedent, at least in the Old Testament, which I'm Jewish, for long incarcerations. It is simply not a thing. We've probably never thought about this. I never thought about it. In the Old Testament, all you have to punish people is monetary or corporal or capital. I'm fine with all of those. I suspect you are as well. There is no precedent for holding people for years. It's just not a thing. We need to notice that because the only eternal truths are in the Torah or in the Bible. Why are we having long incarcerations to begin with? I'm just throwing it out there. Now I just want to share a couple of funny things. Um, perhaps next slide. Okay, this is an example of a woman who has absolutely been rehabilitated. And she's got years and years left because she was overcharged. She should have been charged with prostitution, but she was charged with sex trafficking, which made it a whole nother level. And that's it. And she's righteous, and every day she's righteous, and I just wanted to, you to have a face. Now, next slide, please. Okay, it's very important we move through our fighting with joy. The world is so depressing, right? It's, there's so much ahead of us. There's mountains, which, by the way, we can lift with God's help. But when I came out, the first thing I did was put this up, right? Because let's have a little fun. So they're going to poke me. I'm going to poke them back, and I want to encourage you, encourage you on that. I, wanted to, I was hoping to see Katie Hopkins here because you know how Katie Hopkins like, gained all the weight and lost the weight just to show. So I just want to say, you know, prison does a body good. I lost, <laughs> I lost a little weight in prison, a little weight that I had gained from the stress. So, you know, it's not all bad. I think when I write my book, I'm dedicated to the judge for helping me do what had been very difficult. <laughs> um, and, and then next slide, please. And I'm, I'm, wrapping, I'm wrapping up. I just want you to know, so this was about two weeks after I left prison. So this is to remind you, when you're going through ugly, hard times, the times end. The times end. So don't, don't allow yourself to get sunk into it. Don't allow yourself to care about the negative, because then there's very good times later. Next slide. That's, these are some of the original America's Frontline Doctors. There was about closely guarded trade secrets. How many of us were there? I never would say it because it was so small, but that's instructive for you. One person can change things. There was perhaps 20 of us. Literally, that's it. And now we really have influenced the entire world. One person can do something. And by the way, when I say... It was really one. It was really me, and I was backed up by, let's say, 20. But one person. So now we have Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Latipo, these other four, et cetera. They're all doing amazing things. And it came from one person doing something. So don't say you can't do something. And the last is, you must always do the right thing. That is how we fight back. There's always got to be call to action. You may think your little action doesn't matter. It does. It has a cumulative effect. Keep talking. Keep spreading the truth. Do more than you think you can do. 
the financial people in the room. We have to have a way out of the, the federal government controlling our money. I'm not that person putting it out there. Practical piece of advice, I would never live in a blue jurisdiction again, God bless you, but I would never live in a blue jurisdiction. I actually think it's incredibly dangerous. But you must double down in states like Texas. You must double down. Please look at my book on January 6th. The last thing I want to say is thank you. I sent a big thank you out on Twitter. Do I have two minutes or am I out? Am I out on time? Yes? Okay. So I won't show it. I, I did a one-minute Twitter thank you. It's not necessary, but it is very important to thank everyone. I thank you for your letters. I thank you for your support. I thank you for fighting. Please don't come up and thank me. Come up and tell me what you're doing to fight. That's what I want to hear. Thank you. God bless America. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Thank you so very much for tuning in today and every day, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. I'll be back live in studio on Tuesday, November 1st. Until then, enjoy this week of presentations of all the speakers made at the third annual Women for Freedom Summit here in Dallas. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you very soon. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you